Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. Governor Herbert has issued a state of emergency due to an increase in COVID-19 hospitalizations and what he says are unsustainable case rates. The Utah Department of Health says hospitalizations and ICUs are nearing capacity and that health care providers will be unable to care for Utahns in the coming days if this surge continues. And we're going to talk about it uh, again today on the program. We were here last week. Uh, but things uh, seem to have just gotten worse since uh, last week. Our guests include Caleb Harrison, epidemiologist with the Bear River Health Department. Caleb Harrison, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me, Tom. Thanks for uh, being with us. Um, and I understand you're at home uh, today because of the closure of Sardine Canyon, which I didn't know until you texted me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so doing my best to have the numbers in front of me on my laptop, but uh, yeah, quick change of plans. Thanks for accommodating. Yeah, yeah well, thank you. I appreciate that. And yeah, we're heading into the winter season with some nice uh, snowfall, which is causing some problems, of course. Uh, Gordon Larson uh, uh, joins us again on the program. He's policy director with the governor's office. Uh, Mr. Larson, thank you so much. Thanks, Tom. Good to be with you again. Uh, any uh, any travel problems in Salt Lake area? You know, no, I'm working from home today. Okay. Uh, but uh, nope, a good, good bit of snow coming down, but otherwise uh, roads look fine. Yeah, yeah. Well, good. Um, and we'd love to hear from you. Um, how are you doing with all of this? Uh, it seems like, uh, you know, Utah is the hot spot in the nation. And uh, yard is. What, what can we do? What should we do? Um, we had a good response, some uh, great comments last time. Um, love to have you comment again, or if you didn't respond to the last program last week, love to have your question or comment. Here's how you can reach us, upraccess at gmail.com, upraccess at gmail.com. Uh, or you can call us to 800-826-1495, 800-826-1495. I'd love to know if uh, the, the holiday plans are changing because of all this, um, among other things. love to hear from you. Uh, so I'll start with uh, Gordon Larson. Uh, Utah does seem to be the hot spot, um, receiving publicity that perhaps we don't want. Uh, for example, I heard uh, Governor-elect uh, Cox uh, on NPR last night. And so I guess my question is, um, what what is the main concern? Yeah, thanks, Tom. You alluded to it in the introduction there, which is our our hospitals are close to capacity. All four of our systems are um, experiencing significant stress. Um, They, you know, we went from an average seven-day daily case count average of about 500, uh, you know, six or seven weeks ago, to now we're up to over 2,000. Uh, cases a day on average, and uh, that's just not sustainable. We know that about 5% of all cases will end up in the hospital, and so the more cases, the more uh, get hospitalized. And uh, as valiantly as, as our hospitals are working, they, um, they're they exhausted, and uh, they don't have the, the personnel to care for the increasing number of hospitalizations. So they're managing, but um, just barely, and uh, that's that's the concern and the, the catalyst for the, the governor's actions this weekend. Uh, so the, the, what's the situation right now? Maybe, um, I don't know, use the word dire, or, or we're, consumed, we're concerned it may get there pretty soon? No, I think it is dire. Um, our, we, we, we know that um, there are, our hospitals, and particularly what we call our referral hospitals, the 16 or so hospitals that, um, that have the most expertise to deal with um, complex COVID cases, um, those referral hospitals are... Um, over 80% full. And when they reach 85%, they're functionally, our, our hospital systems are functionally full. And uh, so they're, they're already at the point where they're sort of uh, thinning out the gravy, so to speak. They're spreading their nurse force uh, thin, um, particularly the critical care nurses and the, the pulmonologists and the, the technicians that care for COVID patients. Um, they're working extra shifts. They're uh, caring for more people than is ideal, more patients than is ideal. And uh, that that's that's not sustainable, and we've seen that play out, of course, in other parts of the world and parts of the country. This is what happened in New York back in March and April. How they were overwhelmed it was it was it, it was uh, partly a, a issue of beds, but um, as it is for us now, it's even more significantly a, a bottleneck of healthcare workers. Um, we just don't have enough of those critical care nurses um, to, to care for the increasing number of, of COVID patients coming into hospitals. 
We have a caller. Uh, ben has called in. He's from Hurricane, but works in Washington. Uh, ben, glad you called. Go ahead with your question or comment. Uh, yeah, so, um, like I said, I, I work in Washington, Utah, and it, it's been really hard with the mask mandate because as, as I've been working and following the mask mandate, it gets really frustrating down here when I, uh, uh, where I work, there's a dance hall next to us and people come in and dance and they'll, there'll be no masks, limited masks even, um, and, you know, if you call and report it, like I have before it, you know, I've gotten from dispatch down here that, oh, there's nothing we can do. There's no actual law. There's nothing, no way to enforce this. So, sorry, we're not doing anything. And it, it's really frustrating as a, you know, trying to obey the law and the mandate that, you know, half, half the people don't really care. <laughs> and it's, you know, it's not infringing upon actual rights. We're just trying to care about everybody in the community. And, yeah, you know, there's that shift, there's that uh, division in the community that really affects me. Well, uh, th- thank you for that, Ben. Appreciate that. We'll direct that. Let me direct that first to, to Gordon Larson. Um, he, he's saying no enforcement mechanism. Yeah, Ben, first, uh, thanks for doing your part. Uh, that's it's it really is start with personal responsibility right and it sounds like you've you've taken the right approach um our hope is that that the problem that you're describing will improve with the governor's actions this weekend right so it's it's a it's now a statewide mask mandate um with fines that will be issued to businesses who don't enforce it with their employees and who don't post signs uh requiring uh, uh patrons to to wear masks um but uh, but it you know the the biggest challenge that we have seen is is not in a workplace setting it's not in a grocery store retail setting um, I think throughout the state most of those businesses now have gotten on board and and are um, requiring masks um, the biggest challenge is in our homes and in our these social settings where we tend to let our guard down and uh, and our hope is that the this uh, the governor's strong encouragement that folks will um, not gather with people outside their household for the next two weeks and to rethink um, how they approach those social situations, that that will help make a difference. So that's two weeks, and then I guess the plan is to reevaluate, is it? Correct. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so I wonder about Thanksgiving. Of course, that's, that's beyond, I think that's beyond the two weeks, right? But um, uh, that's going to be tough if we have to continue the pause through Thanksgiving. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I, I think w- what we know, Tom, is that the safest, a uh, way to approach this is for us to stay with those in our immediate household. And when we are around those who are not in our immediate household, that we keep our mask on and that we stay at least six feet apart, whether we're inside or outside. And that's uh, certainly challenging with the holidays coming up. And, and it's, uh, it's, it's a good time right now as we're planning those activities that we think carefully about what we can do to be safe and how to plan those uh, act- activities and, and uh, gatherings. And again, focus on what can we do with just our household. Um, and 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 uh, you know re- rethink the way that we approach this. We're not any safer around our cousins or aunts or uncles or grandmas and grandpas than we are around a stranger, right? Um, and and that's that's where we've seen again the challenge is is uh, thinking that uh, when we invite somebody over for Sunday dinner that it's okay to have our masks off, and, and that's um, we have to we have to rethink that. Well, let me turn uh, to Caleb Harrison. Uh, I wonder what the uh, what you're seeing in the uh, the Bear River Health Department area. This is three uh, three counties, right? Uh, Cash, Box Elder, yeah. and Rich. What are yeah, we seeing? That's correct. Um, similar to what we're seeing around the rest of the state, you know, the um, in terms of what was mentioned earlier about ICU capacity. Um, our hospitals here are incredibly busy at capacity, uh, and and then across the state. Uh, ICUs are, are nearing capacity as um, as many of our patients here in our jurisdiction are, are sent to ICUs and, and other locations. In terms of case counts, uh, it's uh, continuing to, to spread exponentially. So we're currently at uh, 6,523 cases in, uh, since the start of the pandemic in uh, our three counties. And the rate at which we are growing uh, has been, uh, since the past two months or so, we've been increasing by about 23% uh, each week. 
Um, so assuming this exponential growth rate continues to stay constant, uh, continues to say what it's been for the past two months, uh, by December, we could be seeing just in our jurisdiction alone, 500 cases, uh, 500 new cases each and every day by the end of December. So in the next two months, that would mean over 15,000 new cases just within our three counties, which, uh, as I mentioned earlier, we've had 6,500 so far. So this could very quickly get out of control. Um, now, that that projection that I mentioned should be interpreted with some caution. That's assuming that everything stays constant. There are reasons why, you know, it could very well slow down, uh, especially with uh, the statewide uh, state of emergency and as people change their behaviors. But there's also, uh, you know, arguments why it could very well speed up if behaviors don't change uh, statewide as things get colder, people uh, are inside more and and the opportunity for spread increases. So, yeah, things are uh, uh, dire here. And what, the, the most effective uh, measures that people can take are, I guess, our masks and social distancing. That's, I guess that that's the I don't want to say silver bullet, but that that's the thing to do. Yeah, uh, in terms of of what we have at our disposal um, at the state, uh, we've got testing and contact tracing to be able to uh, identify people when they test positive and to get them separated from others so they don't spread it to others in their household or social circles. And then uh, for individuals, uh, what they can best do is those two things that you mentioned, uh, to stay away from others as best they can um, during this state of emergency. That means staying with um, people in your household um, and then when you have to be around others during essential activities such as work or school, um, that that uh, mask mandate will hopefully keep, uh, uh, keep spread uh, low uh, when people do have to be around each other. And, of course, there's the other things of, of staying home when you're sick and uh, making sure to, have, uh, to practice proper hand hygiene. But, yeah, the social distancing and mask wearing are, are two of the most important things that we have as uh, community members. Let's take a break. We're going to come back more uh, on COVID-19 in Utah. Uh, Utah is definitely a hot spot in, in the nation, in fact, right now. Um, governor says uh, we, right now we have unsustainable case rates. He's issued a state of emergency, um, and uh, he, the government is urging uh, mask wearing, social distancing, and uh, keep uh, social gatherings to household only, uh, some of the measures. Um, we'd love to know what you think, what can be done, what should be done. What are you experiencing? What are you seeing? Uh, what are your holiday plans? Are they going to be altered because of, uh, because of COVID? And uh, how's your mental health? We'll talk about that going on. Uh, when we come back from break, I have a piece of tape from uh, Noel Cockett, president of Utah State University, who I interviewed earlier this week. Um, talking about um, adopting behaviors and how we get people to do that. Um, and you're welcome to join this conversation, 800-826-1495, 800-826-1495, or upraxcess at gmail.com, upraxcess at gmail.com. More following this. Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and Silicon Slopes Magazine, focused on Utah tech and startup industries, supporting good causes that affect us all. Information about weekly town hall meetings or advertising in the magazine at siliconslopesmagazine.com, Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. This is Science by the Slice. When the Human Genome Project was declared complete in 2003, scientists celebrated bits of DNA coded for proteins, but many dismissed the importance of non-coded DNA, terming it as junk DNA. Since that time, the scientific community has acknowledged that those indecipherable genomic sequences aren't junk at all. USU scientists Anna Figgins and Karen Kapheim are exploring the role of small non-coding RNA in bumblebees, which they say may help explain the genetic mechanisms underlying bees' social behavior. This segment of Science by the Slice is brought to you by the USU College of Science, offering degree programs in the sciences and mathematics. Details at usu.edu science.
Thanks for joining us for Access Utah today. We're talking about the situation with COVID-19 in Utah. Uh, We were here about a week ago talking about this. Uh, Back again, the situation has only worsened uh, since last week. And the governor has issued a state of emergency. Um, He says the, the current case rates are unsustainable. Concerned about hospitalizations, the healthcare system is uh, very, very stressed right now. Um, ICUs are nearing capacity, and uh, so we're talking about this uh, on the program with Gordon Larson, policy director with the governor's office, and uh, Caleb Harrison, epidemiologist with the Bear River Health Department. Love to hear from you. What are you experiencing? What are you seeing? What do you think can and should be done? Um... Uh, are, are you frustrated on the one side about, um, you know, the lack of a mask adoption? I'm hearing from some folks, uh, they're, they're standing on their rights. You're infringing on my, my liberties and my rights with wearing a mask. And so we have a debate about community needs versus individual needs. Uh, love to hear from you. UPRaccess at gmail.com, UPRaccess at gmail.com. Or you can call us toll-free, 800-826-1495, 800-826-1495. Uh, so, gentlemen, I'd like to play a piece of tape. This is a, about two or three minutes. This is from a couple of days ago. Noel Cockett, president of Utah State University, uh, talking about the adoption of masks on the USU campus, which has been quite successful. And then we get into talking about um, maybe why USU and why a lower adoption rate in other areas. Uh, no change for us with the mask mandate. We've already had that in place, and uh, people have been just terrific about complying with the masks. In fact, I've actually had community leaders say that they've noticed how USU students are very compliant with masks in businesses, uh, fitness centers, uh, you know, different venues that they go into. And so we really appreciate that uh, compliance of our students. I want to follow up. Uh, you said earlier in this conversation that um, uh, that you have officials talking to you and, and asking you, well, how did you get you know, speaking of administration, how did how did you get USU to adopt face masks? And I see it, 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 it seems like a pretty high adoption rate around campus. And it's, you know, it, it's tough to, it's tough to mandate this, tough to enforce. You, you can't enforce every last one, right? So what goes into, um, you know, high adoption rate of, of mask use on, on a campus like USU? I I absolutely believe it's because our people care about others. There is no doubt in my mind. It's a family. It's, you know, I can wear a mask if it protects others. Um, protecting others means that as much as possible, we go forward with uh, the university education, research, and outreach. It, there's no doubt that these are very weird and different times. Uh, We certainly just even like having to cancel or postpone our extracurricular activities, you know, on Monday through November uh, 30th, um, at least that far out. I mean, these kind of changes are coming all the time, but there's this basic desire that's basic commitment of our people to do it for others. I'm absolutely convinced of that. Does, uh, how, how do you, I don't know if you can, uh, you know, transmit that, uh, replicate that. <laughs> it seems like some, <laughs> some communities aren't doing well, that, right? I think, you know, we call it behavior modeling. And hopefully by seeing our students wearing masks when they're out and about, you know, tells other people, you know what, I can do it too. The other group that I really have noticed wear masks out and about are people in the public education. I've seen kids walking down streets, you know, with backpacks on, they have their masks on. So I think it's an acceptance by, you know, um, uh, younger people that this is the way it is. This is life as we know it right now. And I think their attitude of we're going to get through this, um, I think, can really be a strong message for all of us. 
So that's uh, President Cockett, Noel Cockett, president of Utah State University from earlier this week. Uh, Gordon Larson, I want to get your reaction. Uh, President Cockett says she's convinced on the USU campus, high mask adoption rate because of a community spirit. Um, I I guess that's, is that what's needed statewide? Yeah, for sure. Thanks, Tom. You know, we really appreciate President Cockett and, and her attitude and her efforts, along with those of the other university presidents throughout the state. They've really taken this seriously. And I, I do think you actually do see pretty good mass compliance on campus. As I was walking around SUU down in Cedar City a few weeks ago, I um, was impressed with their level of mass compliance as well. Um, again, the challenge is, is um, in, in more social settings. So it, it may, it's one thing to wear it in the classroom, and that's good, and that's important. Um, we also have to wear it when we're, you know, around other people in a, in a, a less formal setting. And uh, as we met about a week ago with uh, Dr. Deborah Burks from the White House Coronavirus Task Force and Dr. Robert Redfield, the director of the CDC, they emphasized that this age group, this sort of 15 to 25-year-old age group, is um, is particularly challenging in part because they, they don't, um, they're, they're not likely to see the severe impacts of COVID that um, the other groups are, the older uh, members of our society are. And they just tend to be more mobile. They're out and about more. And um, and so that that was part of the impetus behind the, the the governor's focus this weekend on a new a new push for asymptomatic testing weekly of all college students. Right. So some some of our schools have already jumped on board and are already doing this. Um, I know Utah State has already been doing significant testing, but a weekly testing um, of all college students. Uh, will allow us to catch some of those who um, don't realize yet that they're sick, they're asymptomatic, they're pre-symptomatic, and be able to pull them out of tra- the transmission chain. And what we've, what uh, Dr. Burks and Dr. Redfield told us is they've seen this have a big impact throughout the country on, on uh, college uh, communities in particular, not just in helping prevent the spread from within the, the, the student body, uh, but also in the surrounding community. It's the, the they call these uh, populations, and, and Caleb, I'm sure, could speak to this as, as a sentinel population, right? We're able to, to focus on them and test them and have a, a broader impact uh, among the general population. And so I, uh, it, it's great to see college students taking this seriously, and, and now we just need to kind of up our game with those social gatherings and then uh, more focus on, on testing. Uh, so, Caleb Harrison, yes, the sentinel population. Tell me about that. Uh, yeah, so um, in thinking about uh, kind of the, the groups that are most likely to uh, spread this, that 18 to 25-year-old age group uh, has been uh, influential in, in spreading the virus. I don't want to paint that this age group as, uh, you know, the, the, the main cause of, of all this spread, but at least in our jurisdiction, uh, for that age group, they've they make up about 25% of the total cases we've had so far. Now, in uh, early, uh, or I guess uh, early September, we were seeing uh, a huge spike in cases in that age group where for about uh, the, the entire month of September, 60% of our new cases came from that age group. Uh, uh, as mentioned, some of the reasons why that is, one of the big reasons is that that age group is more likely to live in congregate housing, so in spaces where you live with other individuals who uh, have uh, jobs where they may not be able to work remotely, they're more likely to have jobs where they work in person, uh, uh, they're a lot more mobile, and uh, and so transmission within those shared households uh, arises, and we've seen that that spike of cases within that age group has influenced the the rise in cases that's happened since. Um, so uh, with that being said, uh, the things that President Cockett uh, mentioned was absolutely true. You, uh, USU has done a phenomenal job of being able to control the spread on their campus um, and in their uh, on-campus housing. Uh, it's just some of the activities that, that take place off campus that have been influential. But with the regular testing, um, that should uh, be able to allow us to be able to play a bit more offense, to be able to catch those cases uh, before they go out and spread it to others. Uh, Kristen St. George has written in. Uh, he's used uh, upraxcess at gmail.com, upraxcess at gmail.com. You can as well. 
Kristen St. George says, want to echo Ben from Washington. Very frustrating here in St. George. Uh, grocery stores and other businesses are not enforcing masks. I can see that getting customers to comply is difficult, but when the employees refuse, there should be consequences. Uh, so Gordon Larson, uh, the governor did, did talk about business compliance, right? And there are possible fines, I guess, if, it, uh, if business is out of compliance. That's correct. So the Utah Labor Commission um, can now fine uh, a business for not enforcing mask compliance among its employees and for not posting signage and encouraging patrons to wear masks as well. So that is a change, and uh, it's the 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 uh, patrons themselves are required to wear masks. Uh, the business is not in the position of enforcing patrons to do it, um, but but it is required that they um, that they require their employees to wear masks. And, um, and, and again, we're hoping that that will make a difference in terms of, uh, of, of more broad compliance in those retail settings, those business settings. And I, I should say that the, the businesses that I frequent, um, I'm seeing good compliance and businesses are doing a good job and, and the patrons as well. Um, but apparently in some areas, uh, just, just not getting the compliance we want. Uh, that's where I want to go next. Uh, do, you know, not to beat a dead horse, but I'll start with Gordon Larson on this. Um, it, it, well, I'll just start with this. The, the, uh, Lieutenant Governor Cox last night on NPR uh, said that, um, or at least implied that one of the reasons they decided to do an alert Sunday night was to get people's attention, right? And, and maybe, and, and of course that's to change behavior. So Gordon Larson, I wonder, I don't know, is there some personal frustration among the governor's office of yourself? Uh, this is psychology, it's sociology, it's political science, it's all bound up in one. Essentially, you're trying to get behavior modification. Yeah, I, I think you have, Tom, three kind of uh, groups of people here. You have those who uh, are, are have been paying attention since the beginning, are taking this seriously, they're masking up, they're limiting their gatherings, they're doing everything possible they can to be careful. And, um, and then you have a, a second group that's not paying as close attention. Uh, they, they're aware of the virus and that it's dangerous, and they, they kind of maybe hear some of the headlines, uh, but, but generally going about life as, as, as business, as life is normal, business as usual. And then you have a third group of people that are, that are um, I think, small but very vocal that are actively opposed to it and are refusing to wear masks. And, and the, it's that second group that I think um, we were – you know, trying to really work on with um, with the governor's emergency alert and his you know breaking into primetime broadcasting Sunday night to to make these announcements and to plead with Utahns to um, to take this seriously and, and and I think it did have an impact just based on sort of the response that I've received from family and friends and neighbors and others um, who may not have been paying as much attention uh, prior to that but uh, but but certainly are now. And um, it's it's, uh, it's it's something that unless it touches you personally, some people don't uh, you know don't pay attention. And I think increasingly over the coming weeks and months, it's going to touch everybody personally in some respect. You're going to know a friend or a loved one or um, a neighbor who has been impacted by COVID. And um, and it, it, it would be a shame if we waited until that happened before we each took uh, personal responsibility. Caleb Harrison, uh, last week um, you talked about three scenarios, um, one of which was was incredibly stark. I wonder if you could uh, remind us about that. Yeah, so uh, it's kind of an oversimplification of things, but I think helpful to talk about the uh, three possible scenarios of of where this pandemic is going. The first uh, scenario, and, and in my opinion, ideal, is eradication which is uh, where we're able to uh, get control over this virus to the point where it's no longer spreading to others and it will eventually uh, die out and, uh, and, and no longer spread to others and uh, we won't see any more cases uh, in, in our area. Uh, some, some areas of the world have managed to do that for now and are trying to keep the virus out of their country um, through a lot of work. So that's the first uh, outcome is, is through really strict means uh, and uh, community effort to be able to eradicate the virus uh, from, from uh, where we live. Uh, the second outcome, possible outcome is uh, to 
is kind of where we are right now. Uh, kind of what we're on track for and hoping for is, is maintenance, and that's just to mitigate the the impact this virus has on uh, health and well-being by trying to catch it early and uh, reduce spread as best as we can until hopefully a vaccine becomes available. Things are looking good in that regard, uh, um, but it's it's not uh, a inevitability that we can necessarily rely on um, as, as far as a vaccine becoming available and when it will become available. So that's kind of the stage, uh, the outcome that we're looking at right now. Um, the third possible outcome is, is to basically do nothing uh, and uh, let this become endemic and just let the virus continue to spread in the community uh, and some of those projections that I mentioned earlier, seeing uh, thousands new cases uh, and, and thousands of, of hospitalizations and uh, continued to allow uh, the death rate to increase. So, again, that's kind of an oversimplification, and, and, but the, the, the first two outcomes is, is what we're hoping for, and, and that relies a lot on uh, both public health effort but uh, as well as community effort. Is scenario one possible? We do essential, you know, you know I think, very low case rates, eradication, yeah. essentially. I think it is possible um, uh, in the U.S. I think it does require a coordinated national response. Um, at this point, I think what we're more on track for is scenario two. Uh, there's been, like I mentioned, there's been good news about uh, some of the vaccine trials that is showing high efficacy, um, and that we it's possible to see. Uh, production of that vaccine within the uh, next couple of months. Um, but yeah, I would say we're more on track for uh, scenario number two, but that doesn't mean that scenario number one is impossible. Mm-hmm. Oh, so I'll start with this one with Caleb Harrison. Uh, so why, why the surge now? Is it colder weather? We're more indoors? Is it that simple? Or, or what do you think? Yeah, I think that's starting to play a role in it. I think uh, we've, as I mentioned earlier, we've seen a consistent uh, uh, increase in the, the rate of spread since uh, the, about the last week of August, as we mentioned last week, kind of coincided with the beginning of school. Um, and although the schools, uh, universities and, and our K-12 schools have done a great job at reducing spread uh, within the schools, I think the uh, perhaps the, the public mentality uh, was that since these gatherings, which are for education and which in Utah are, de- are deemed as essential uh, services, uh, if, if we're gathering in these settings, then it's okay to gather in other settings. And, and what uh, I think is incorrect about that thinking is that the work that's going into allowing schools to operate is is a massive undertaking of, of the, p- the protective measures in place which is why we've seen low spread in our schools. But I think uh, people need to understand that even though certain gatherings like work and school are taking place, uh, uh, that's happening because those are essential gatherings and, and we need to look at the other gatherings that we part- participate in and recognize that they probably aren't essential and that we might have to get creative with, with our social interactions through uh, phone calls and, 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 and virtual uh, meetings to be able to fill our social needs uh, as best we can, given the circumstances. I'd like to get a response um, uh, from you, Gordon Larson, on, on this, th- those three scenarios. And um, what's what's the best case scenario? What would a very successful two-week pause look like? Yeah, I, I think Caleb's absolutely right. And, um, it, you know, if, if we'd been able to, to manage this uh, similar to how um, South Korea and um, and even some other Asian countries, Australia, New Zealand have have uh, really gotten their case counts extraordinarily low. Um, some of that's based on travel restrictions and the fact that they're you know it's an island and it's a little bit easier to become isolated. Um, but but yeah, it is possible to have that scenario one. But I think that's not realistic um, at this point, given where where we're at as a as a country. Um, 
but I do think that maintenance until we get the vaccine is is uh, is, is is what we're shooting for. And I, I, you know, we we actually have had some great conversations this week, as as um, as, as many of your listeners will know. The uh, pharmaceutical company Pfizer announced uh, on Monday that they they are seeing ninety percent effectiveness, which was higher than was previously anticipated for their vaccine. Um, we will begin getting doses of that and, and be able to administer that. Uh, the, the limited amount that we'll have uh, by mid-December will allow us to start inoculating uh, healthcare workers and and uh, and then move on from there to other parts of our population. So uh, th- that's exciting. But again, it still requires extraordinary uh, diligence and, and those changes in personal behavior over the next uh, uh, couple of months here and, and beyond. Um, so I, I think the pause here for the next couple of weeks is is trying to we you can frame it as kind of a circuit breaker. We're, we're really trying to to drop our case counts um, down to the point where um, we can do effective contact tracing um, to the point where our hospitals are not overwhelmed and they can they can effectively care for people, both COVID patients and and patients that you know heart attacks, strokes, um, any kind of trauma that that also need healthcare. Um, so that's that's the hope, and 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 we're optimistic, and and the people of Utah have, have uh, risen to the task before, and and we're confident they will again this time. Do you uh, do you have a fear? Does the government have a fear that I could see? <laughs> might be some trepidation. Uh, we hear about a vaccine, and uh, and then our tendency might be to relax. Hey, vaccines coming. Yeah, good question. I I think. Um, the vaccine, you know, the, the the most optimistic projections are that it won't be widely available until at some point next spring, and so we have a we do have a long winter ahead of us. Um, and, and as we've talked with federal officials who have, are, are very familiar with how this current spike started, um, and of course this is a spike that's unlike some of the earlier spikes in the spring and over the summer that were kind of geographically limited. Um, this is throughout the country, right? And and uh, they pointed out that it started uh, with a real cold snap that went across, you know, Montana and the D- Dakotas and uh, parts of the Midwest, and um, and that's what has, has caused you know people to go inside and has skyrocketed those case counts. North and South Dakota are um, an even more serious situation than, than we are, but this is a nationwide spread. There's there's no state now that's not seen a, um, an increase in their cases, and. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, it, it requires vigilance, and, and the vaccine will be here, um, and, and that that should give us some hope and some optimism. This is not an indefinite uh, situation, but it does require us to be cautious and vigilant uh, for the, the next several months. We received an email from Tammy, um, and uh, she emailed upraxis at gmail.com. You can as well. Would love to get your question or comment here. Um, on this uh, the program about COVID-19 in Utah, upraxis at gmail.com, or you can call us to 800-826-1495, 800-826-1495. Uh, Tammy, uh, headlines uh, the email, A Pleasant COVID Experience. Uh, she says, I'm, I'm recently uh, started working as a disease investigator for the Bear River Health Department, which involves reaching out to people with positive COVID results. I've been pleasantly surprised by the kindness and cooperation I've received from people I speak with every day. I'd like to express my thanks and gratitude to those who have been so kind and willing to work together to help us slow the spread. I'm very proud to be working in a community that cares. That's Tammy. So Caleb Harrison, uh, uh, someone there from your your department, that's a that's a positive uh, thing. What what's been your experience from the department? People generally cooperative? Yeah, and I first have to say I'm grateful for Tammy's comment there, and she has has been phenomenal in her role. And she brings up a really great point that I think, uh, you know, a lot of the discussion uh, about the pandemic in our area focuses on, uh, you know, some of the challenges and some of the noncompliance that we're seeing, and uh, which is leading to the. Uh, the spread in cases, because that's, you know, our main focus is how do we stop that. But Tammy brings up a great point that um, as, as we contact people to notify them of their positive test result and instruct them on uh, how to protect themselves and, and those around them, the majority of the people that we talk with have been phenomenal to work with and, and have shown that they care uh, not only for their families and their uh, uh, immediately immediate loved ones, but also their community. And so, I think that's a message that does need to be, that we do need to be reminded of, is that the majority of the people that we are working with are, uh, are uh, we feel like that 
we are working together uh, with the community. Um, so yeah, it's it's been uh, uh, good to see that from the community as as we contact people. Thanks for the email, Tammy, and thanks for the good work you're doing. Uh, just before we go to another break, uh, Gordon Larson, uh, what about uh, flu season? Because that's another possible problem overlaid on on COVID. I guess the advice is uh, get your get your flu shot. Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad you mentioned it, Tom. That's critical, and we've seen that that we've, there's uh, far more people uh, by an order of ma- several orders of magnitude have already gotten their flu shots than in, than at this time last year. Uh, which is encouraging. That we, what we what we don't need is is hospitals filled up with with flu patients, um, in addition to the the COVID patients. So critical that people go and, and get their flu shot as, as soon as possible. Caleb Harrison, uh, I suppose it's you know that <laughs> it's probably a foolish question, but uh, some people might have it. Uh, you know the flu, the various strains of influenza, and COVID are both uh, viruses. I guess you could get those at the same time. That'd be a heck of a deal. Yeah, no, that's certainly a possibility of, of complications that uh, would arise with a, a combination of both of those viruses. I think the, the bigger concern is what was just mentioned, is that um, as, as flu cases rise, that will uh, soak up uh, hospital resources that are already over capacity. So definitely a huge concern. Let's take another break. Um, we are talking with Gordon Larson from the governor's office and uh, Caleb Harrison with the Bear River Health Department. Talking about COVID-19 in Utah, the governor has uh, issued a state of emergency uh, concerned about hospitalizations and unsustainable case rates right now in uh, in Utah. So a two-week pause is what's uh, happening, and we're talking about it on the program today. You can join us to 800-826-1495 or upraxcess at gmail.com. Just a note before we go to break, uh, we're working on a uh, an episode of the program with uh, the writer Julie Berry, uh, who's an award-winning author of books for children and young adults, and uh, we'll have that program shortly. But there's a deadline coming up. She's um, doing a writing uh, a workshop with the Provo City Library, and that's tomorrow on writing historical fiction. Uh, Julie Berry, uh, author of All the Truth That's in Me, The Passion of Dulce, The Lovely War, some wonderful books. Uh, the deadline is today to register for that free Zoom event, and you go to provolibrary.com to register. More following this. Support for the UPR-produced podcast Debunked is made possible by our members and the Utah Division of Substance Abuse and Mental Health, providing substance use disorder, mental health, and suicide prevention resources throughout Utah. Information at dsamh.utah.com. On the next Living on Earth, voters turned out in record numbers this year. We'll take a look across the country at how the environment and climate change factored into the historic 2020 election. I'm Bobby Bascom, from toss-up races that will determine the balance of power in the Senate to the top of the ticket choice for president. We'll hear about the influence of green voters up and down the ballot next time on Living on Earth from PRX. Coming up at 10 o'clock here on Utah Public Radio. This week in This American Life, I think I should just confess, I record these promos, like the one you're hearing right now for the radio show, I record them a week in advance. And I have no idea what's going to happen this week. As I record this, some very big things are still up in the air in this country. As a result, I have no idea what we're going to put on the radio show. But if you've heard our show and you know what we do, We're going to do more of that. Tune in Saturday morning at 10 on UPR. Thanks for joining us for Access Utah. We appreciate the conversation today. Appreciate the time our guests are giving us. I know they're both very, very busy. We're talking about COVID-19 in Utah. The governor has issued a state of emergency. There's an increase in hospitalizations, unsustainable case rates, ICUs nearing capacity. And so the governor's put a two-week pause um, and issued some restrictions, statewide mask mandate, um, urging uh, folks to only gather socially within your household. Um, and as we mentioned earlier, uh, weekly testing of all uh, university and college uh, students. Uh, some of the measures are now in place. And we have with us Gordon Larson, uh, policy director with the governor's office, and Caleb Harrison, epidemiologist with the Bear River Health Department. We hope to have you as well. 
uh, on the program with your question or comment, you can reach us to upraxcess at gmail.com, upraxcess at gmail.com, or uh, the number is 800-826-1495. So, gentlemen, I want to play just another piece of tape from President Cockett, president of USU. This is just only about a minute uh, uh, long, and this is this talks about uh, mental health. Anything else you'd like to say, President? Well, I, you know, again, just want to thank everybody for supporting USU. Crazy times, uh, all together, working all together. I know we can get out at the other end of this. Um, little worried about people's spirits uh, now that we're more of us are finding ourselves in the house with the snow and the colder weather. And so I was just thinking that maybe each of us could identify a person that maybe we could pick up the phone and give them a quick call and just ask how they're doing. I think it's going to be really important for all of us to reach out to others and not just um, cut ourselves off from that human contact. Um, It's going to, you know, it could be uh, a long winter, and so we're going to have to think of other ways to reach out to people than, than, you know, where we used to see them in person. Um, so I just, you know, we'll keep our conversations going through the, through the rest of the year, and maybe uh, we can come up with some different ideas of how people can celebrate the holidays and stay connected with those they care about. So that's Noel Cockett, president of Utah State University. I'll direct this first to Gordon Larson. Uh, what's your concern there in the governor's office about uh, mental health? I, I, I know from talking to friends, I guess myself as well, I'm just tired of this, uh, you know, all of this. And there's there's more to come into the next year. Um, how to keep our spirits up? I guess reaching out is a good idea. Yeah, no, I'm, I'd love the President Cockett's advice. Uh, pick up a pick up the phone and, and call a friend. To, you know, figure out how to to, to do Zoom meetings with with friends and family. And um, I, I've tried to stay in touch with friends in a, in a book club that we just meet on on Zoom now. Um, you know, I'm not a mental health professional, but I agree it's a challenge, and um, and 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 it's something that um, we're going to have to deal with perhaps for many years to come. The the, the mental and physical impacts of COVID, but um, we can certainly respond, as she suggested, reaching out and trying to keep contact with, with people around us and, and continue to serve them, but let's just be maybe creative about how we do that now. You mentioned uh, years to come, uh, so and we hear the phrase, a new normal. Are, are there some aspects of this that are just going to be a new normal? Well, I do think, you know, one challenge, and I think uh, somebody earlier alluded to this, is that you see uh, people not going to uh, I think Caleb mentioned this, folks who are um, perhaps not going to see the doctor or going to the hospital when they should based on their concern over COVID. And uh, so a, a lot of conditions are not getting diagnosed um, as early, everything from, from cancers to potential heart attacks. Um, so it, it is critical that people uh, still go go see their doctor, still get diagnosed, still get a colonoscopy when, when that's appropriate. Um, don't Don't postpone... Uh, needed medical um, uh, screenings and and procedures. Um, that that that's what I mean when I refer to the the years ahead that we may see a lot of of uh, negative health outcomes based on COVID. But it's something that we can address. Let's just make sure that we don't neglect those um, those needed uh, healthcare opportunities. I want to get this in uh, from Steve in Carbon County. He called in and uh, and and relayed this uh, comment. Uh, he says uh, they've had maybe one COVID death there in Carbon County. He never wears a mask because of antibodies. He says he can't wear a mask. No one ever talks about the people who can't wear a mask. Uh, he carries one with him when he enters a grocery store, but he never wears it. He says no one would uh, uh, share his comment and um, and didn't want to say it on the air. So uh, hopefully we've uh, relayed it uh, uh, accurately. Uh, Stephen, we appreciate you calling in. Um, so, uh, Caleb, I guess there are, there are some medical conditions, uh, some factors where some people can't wear masks. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, and the, the governor's uh, mask mandate does address that. Um, and so there, there are rare circumstances where people will have um, underlying health conditions that make it harder for them 
to wear a mask, but uh, generally the the majority of the population uh, should be able to uh, wear a mask. And what we know from the research is that um, we need uh, about 80 to 95 percent of the population. If we had 80 to 95 percent of the population wear masks, which uh, enough of the population is healthy enough to wear a mask, but if we had 80 to 95 percent of the population wear masks, um, uh, one study estimated that we could have avoided three, uh, 33,000 deaths in the U.S. Um, till up to October 1st. And so nationwide, if we see those numbers, there have been studies that show that can have a huge impact. And uh, the same goes for in our state that, um, yes, there, there are uh, individuals who may have a medical exemption for that. Um, but if we have high compliance with mask wearing, that um, you know, the, the, the few individuals who are unable to wear masks uh, shouldn't have too much of an impact. We just have about two minutes left, so maybe a minute each for last comments. Uh, Gordon Larson, what's, uh, what do you hope people's takeaway is from, from this uh, program? What's the top message? Well, maybe two things. Uh, again, what we talked about earlier, that a vaccine is on the way, so please have hope. This is not an indefinite um, situation that we're going to be living with. Um, but but number two, um, let, let's just be very cautious, particularly as we approach the holiday seasons, about who we are, are with. Uh, it's ideal and, and safest to, to be just with those in your household, and that's what the governor has pled with us to do at least for the next two weeks. Um, don't interact with or take your mask off uh, around somebody who's not a member of your household. Um, don't let's not think that we're safer just because they're a loved one. Uh, if it's if it's somebody not in your immediate household, we should be wearing a mask and physically distancing. Um, that's you know, critical that we get the case numbers down so that those who do need medical care um, can be can be uh, assisted by the, the hospitals. Caleb Harrison, uh, just about a minute left. A top takeaway. Yeah, I um, wanted to share really quickly just my thoughts on mask wearing. I think um, it's it's viewing it as the way that we view other uh, laws of recommendations. Such, uh, for example, seatbelt wearing. You know, seatbelt laws uh, were put in place not necessarily to restrict individual freedom to choose not to wear a seatbelt, but really to protect people around you. Because if, if you're in a car accident and you're not wearing a seatbelt, you pose a huge risk, uh, uh, pose a huge risk to the people around you. Uh, and I want to make that comparison to masks that. Uh, you know, we do have our individual freedom, uh, but at the same time, uh, you know, we have to put laws or, or recommendations or, or mandates in place uh, because this is about protecting other people. My mask will protect you and your mask will protect me. Good place to end the program. Uh, Caleb Harrison, epidemiologist with the Bear River Health Department. Uh, thank you so much for uh, giving your time for benefit of our listeners. Thank you. Thank you, Tom. And Gordon Larson, uh, who's uh, policy director uh, with the governor's office, uh, thanks to you for giving your time as well. Thanks, Tom. Good to be with you. Good to be with you. And uh, thanks, everyone, for listening to Access Utah. Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members. And Project Resilience Programming is supported by USU Center for Persons with Disabilities, working to create healthy, inclusive communities through innovative research, service, technical assistance, and education. Information at cpd.usu.edu. A statewide service of Utah State University's College of Humanities and Social Sciences. This is KUSR Logan, KUSUFM Logan, KUSK Vernal, KUSL Richfield, Moab, KUST Price, KCEU, and streaming online at upr.org.